Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Man, we're going to miss the, the Fobbers over there. I feel like we've been talking a lot about um, our vision as a church uh, to be uh, a church family on mission for Jesus, and I feel like the Fobbers just really embody that message. So we'll miss you guys while you guys are gone, but also really glad that you're coming back eventually. <laughs> uh, yes, as, um, as Josh said, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tylon Pervenecki. Uh, I'm not a pastor here. Uh, my wife and I, Katie, who is also just up here um, worshiping, we, leave, we lead um, a campus ministry at UCLA um, towards college students, UCSD. Sorry, I started at UCLA, and sometimes I do that. Go Bruins! <laughs> Tritons is where it's at uh, for me right now. Yes, at UCSD. I did not drive two and a half hours to come down here. Uh, my wife also got me this awesome jacket which um, Joseph Brewer over there, he told me it makes me look like Captain America. So I feel like I have to wear it at all times now. It's just not an option anymore. Um, yeah. So like I said, over the past month, we've taken the opportunity to start off this year by diving into our vision as a church, um, to be a church family on mission with Jesus. And last week, Pastor Obed walked us through what it means for us to be a family on mission, sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us. And today we're gonna to continue in that vein of being church on mission, honing in specifically on developing a burden uh, or, or for or growing our heart for the lost. And I wanna take a moment to define the term the lost here uh, before we jump in. By, by lost, I don't necessarily mean bad people. I'm sure Many of you guys know Christians that you absolutely can't stand and that you have many lost friends who, who you love dearly. By the lost, I simply mean those whom Christ is see, well, who Christ is still seeking out. Those who have yet to give their lives to Jesus. And I chose this word lost in particular because it's the word that Jesus himself often uses to describe those who have yet to give their lives to him. All that to say, our, our main focus today is going to be on growing our hearts for the lost, developing a burden for them so that we will actually go out and fulfill this mission that we've been given that Obed talked about last week. And we'll be doing that today by looking through um, and studying our main, main passage, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And as you guys turn there, I just want to give uh, a brief warning, I guess, uh, and just let you guys know that, that we're going to be taking a look at some hard and perhaps uncomfortable biblical truths today. Um, but also just know that there is, is such goodness in them and God is glorified through them. So all that to say, just strap on your seatbelts and be ready to go. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up and with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, I, I love this passage so much. This is one of my, my favorite passages in the Bible. And right off the bat in Ephesians chapter 2, something is made pretty clear for us. And that is that all people were once lost. That he opens up by saying, you were once dead as the rest of mankind. So to grow our own hearts for the lost, we're going to spend some time looking at ourselves and our own journey as believers. And so today then, we're going to look at two truths of who we were before Christ. Two truths of who we are now in Jesus. And then end by looking at the hope for the lost. The hope for those who don't know us, who don't know Jesus. So two truths of who we once were, two truths of who we are now in Christ, and then hope for the lost. So first, who we once were. So I grew up in a uh, Christian home. I had a Christian background um, as a kid. And like any Christian family in the 1990s, my parents on their bookshelf had all of the Left Behind books <laughs> on the bookshelf. Um, if you don't know what Left Behind it's about, it's, it's about like the rapture and people getting left behind and stuff. I, I don't know much about Revelation, to be honest. I'm still learning a lot. Um, but it, they're like fictional books. So I was like five or six, and the bookshelf that they were in was like right by my bedroom door. So I would walk by all of these left behind books before going to bed every night. Um, and I remember like, I, I didn't know very much, but I knew just enough to know what these books were about, that like people who didn't know Jesus got left behind, and that's kind of like the premise of it. Um, and it began to like really, really scare me. <laughs> So pretty much every time I was in the house and no one else was around, I like immediately assumed that the rapture happened and survival mode was on. And so <laughs> I like run around and think through, okay, like what kind of canned goods do we have? Like, how am I gonna <laughs> survive the apocalypse? As a five-year-old kid, um, I just had this immense fear uh, of not being good enough. Um, and it, it's, it's funny to look back on, but in a way, like even in that moment, um, I had some limited understanding of what it, what it meant, what our first truth is of who we once were. And that is that we are all children of wrath. And this is made very clear in, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Right? He says that we are dead in the trespasses and the sins in which we once walked. We followed the course of the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, which... Uh, in this case here is another title for, for Satan or the adversary, as the Bible calls him. Um, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
We, are, we were once children of wrath. And this, this title, being children of wrath, children of the wrath of God, it's, it's more than just a descriptive statement. It's an identity statement. Paul says that we are by nature children of wrath. Our identity, when we did not know Jesus, who we were, the core of our being, was a person living in rebellion against God. And because of that, we were under his wrath. That's what defined us. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we rejected his goodness, seeking to define good and evil on our own terms so that we could, as Paul says, live out the passions of our flesh and the desires of the body. So that we could, either knowingly or unknowingly, substitute the truth of God for a lie and follow after Satan or the prince of the power of the air. And the world that we live in today is a result of that constant rebellion. We can see the ramifications of it all around us. And so because God is perfectly just, not just pretty just, perfectly just, the perfect judge, he therefore cannot allow any evil to go unpunished. And so all of us lived under his wrath. And the implications of this goes beyond just this life, right? Because you carry your identity with you once you pass away. And so when someone dies under the wrath of God, they will spend eternity under the wrath of God. And this is one of those hard biblical truths that we strapped our seatbelts on for earlier. And it's, it's hard to wrestle with, but the scriptures are, are very clear and, and they don't mince their words on this. Jesus himself talks many, many times of those getting cast out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the book of Revelation makes it all the more clear. Those who are not saved will spend eternity separated from God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we often tend to relegate this identity and the implications of it to those who we deem evil, in quotes, air quotes. <laughs> the, the, the nature of evil on, is on full display, like I said, in our world around us. And we see evil in, in terrorism, in, in shootings, in hate, in racism, in genocide, and, and the list could go on and on. And for people who commit such acts, it can be even somewhat comforting for us to think that justice is, is coming for them because God is just. But the reality is that God's justice is not just for such men and women who we can easily, easily put in the box of evil. People we look to and say that they're, they're not so bad or even maybe they're a good person are still children of wrath. As it is written in, in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Isaiah, it talks about how God in his perfection and in his perfect goodness, and we compare that to the good works that we do, and they're like filthy rags before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that includes each and every one of us. When we were lost, we probably did not think of ourselves as evil. 
And we probably don't think, don't want to admit the, the evil sin nature that is still within us. But we were still sinners who fell short of the glory of God. The lost are all children of wrath. The second truth we see of who we once were is that we were all hungry. That's the second truth. There, there's a hunger that runs deeply in all of mankind. And it's not the kind of hunger that you can satisfy by eating a bunch of microwavable hungry man dinners. <laughs> it's it's a, a deep emptiness, a deep desire to be satisfied. And those who don't know Christ turn everywhere they can to fill this deep emptiness. And I know for a fact that I did. And we see this again in Ephesians 3, as Paul talks about we, those who are following the course of the world. They follow just whichever way the world is flowing at that point. They, they live in the passions of their flesh. They carry out the desires of their body. The, these are all attempts to satisfy something we know that we've lost. The ma vast majority of sin is going to something in an attempt to be satisfied. There's a deep emptiness that rests in the soul, and so we run constantly and try to fill it. We try to fill it with, with sex, with pornography, with our body image, with popularity, dating relationships, performance, success, grades, people-pleasing, volunteer work, good ideas, political activism, marriage, it, anything to get rid of this hunger. But without God, it, it always comes up empty. And if we're honest, we begin to see this chasing for what it really is. And the Bible calls it idolatry. And idolatry, just really simply defined, is trying to squeeze heaven out of earthly things. Before I knew Jesus, this is, this is all that I knew to chase. And so like I said, I, I grew up in, in a Christian home. I grew up going to church. Um, I, was the, I was the sound guy for our, our children's church. Um, I knew about Jesus. I went to this thing called Awanas where I memorized scripture when I was a little kid. Um, but as I, as I grew older, my, my Christian bubble kind of got burst because I, I was homeschooled, so pretty much everybody I knew was Christian. And then I went to a, a public charter university in, in South Florida, um, and the like, rest of the world just like absolutely, completely popped my bubble. Um, and within like a year, I, I went to a pretty, uh, a pretty nerdy high school, so within a year, I was skipping classes in order to play video games with my friends in the library. Um, and also within a year, uh, I was exposed to and, and fully addicted to pornography. As I began to run to all of these different idols to satisfy a deep desire in my soul that, that I didn't know how to, how, to, how to satisfy. And Jeremiah 2.13 puts it this way. The prophet Jeremiah says, um, he's, he's talking uh, on behalf of God, and he says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so he paints this image that like life and living water, the thing that can truly satisfy our hunger 
and our thirst is in God. And I just picture like this like gorgeous glacier, you know, where you like in theory you go and you like fill up all your bottled water that says it's from glaciered water. I don't know. I picture like this gorgeous spring and stream and it's like that. And then right next to it is just like, I, so I come from Florida. <laughs> I grew up in Florida. Pretty much every pond in Florida is just like covered in this gross pond scum. Um, that like, as soon as you look at it, you're like, if I eat anything that comes out of that, I think I'm gonna die. Um, so there's like this, that like pond scum water, and then there's this fountain of life. And idolatry is forsaking the fountain of life and choosing the pond scum water, the thing that ultimately can't satisfy. And that's what I did. I, I forsook the waters of life for broken cisterns that could hold no water and that could never satisfy me. That's who I once was. All, all of humanity is hungry and all of mankind is searching. So who were we before Jesus? We were all under the wrath of God and we were all hungry. But thanks be to God that we did not stay that way and that is not the way that we have to remain. Right, so let's move on to look at the two truths about who we are in Christ now. For those of us who have, have given our lives to Christ, who are, for whom he is our Lord, what is true of us now? And again, like Paul contrasts who we once were with who we are in Ephesians 2, and he, and he does it in verses 4 through 9, where he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." The first truth that I want to pull out of these verses is for those who are in Christ, we have been found. We have been found. You were dead in your sins. You once walked like the rest of mankind as children of wrath. And the only thing that separates us from the lost is that we have been found. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear, this passage makes it abundantly clear that it's by no means by our good measure or by our own good works, right? That's what verses eight and nine say, not as a result of works so that no one may ghost, but by faith and by grace. It is all God, it is his doing, not our own. And it's so easy for me to fall into the thinking in my searching and hunger I looked around and found God, but, but it's the reverse. He found me, right? If you're playing a game of hide and seek and, and you're the one hiding, when somebody finds you, you're not like, great, while I was hiding here behind the couch, I'm the one who found you, you're, you're hiding. And, and the Bible paints a picture again in the story of Adam and Eve that we are hiding from God. God found us. If you are a Christian, God is the one who found you. And we can see this further in, in some of Jesus' parables in, in Luke chapter 15, 
Um, there's the parable, the famous parable of the lost sheep, how Jesus kind of depicts himself as a shepherd who's shepherding a flock of 99 sheep or of 100 sheep and he loses one. And so he leaves the 99 to go and find the one. And then right after that, he gives another parable about a woman who searches desperately for one of her two coins in her house, which she has lost. And when she finds it, there's just great rejoicing. This is the God who we serve. And this is the God that I encountered on my journey. As my life kept spiraling downwards in cycles of, of addiction, as I made poor choice after poor choice, as what usually happens, I hit rock bottom my, my freshman year of college. Um, the, the girl I was dating cheated on me. My friend group blew up in my face. I was flying home because I went to college at U of A because I wanted to get away from my Christian family. So I went from Florida all the way to University of Arizona. And I was flying home and I was just like, my life is like in shambles, which is probably dramatic, overly dramatic for where it was actually was. But that's what it felt like. It's like, I, like everything that I wanted, everything that I was working for is gone. And in that moment, God found me. In that moment, I, I realized that the reality that like, I had not made Jesus my, the Lord of my life. I had known about him, but I had never truly known him. And as soon as I took that step, there was overwhelming peace and satisfaction that entered into my very being because of this gospel. The good news of the Bible is that we don't earn our way to God, but God came to us. Jesus, the, the son of God, part of the triune God was sent by the Father and came down into this broken and messed up world that we all live in. He experienced the hurt and the pain that we experience. He experienced temptation to sin like we experienced. But because he was both fully man and fully God, he was the only one who was absolutely perfect, absolutely righteous, to never sin. And he walked and, and preached in, in this world uh, and then was falsely accused and chose to die on a cross, a just horrendous execution for our sake. And in that moment, he took our sin, our wrongdoing, all, our rebellion against God onto himself and drank the cup of the wrath of God down to the very bottom. And when we look to him, when we choose to believe in his name, he gives us his righteousness and the perfect life that he lived so that we can now stand before God. So that we are now no longer children of wrath. And he defeated it all when he raised from the dead three days later. The glorious truth of the gospel is that God himself came to us. When we ran, he came looking, rather than expecting us to work our way back to him, to climb our way back to him. And I'll be honest, I'm not an expert on the other world religions, so I'm, I'm still not, I'm still learning my, my own in, in Jesus. Um, so take this with a grain of salt, but, but to my knowledge, Christianity is the only religion in which God comes down to us and lifts us up with him. Every other religion that I know of is about us working our way to God. And that is just such an amazing truth. 
that God has come for us, that we have been found. And so what does this mean for us? Well, because of this gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, we have gained a new identity. And that's the second truth. We have a new identity in Christ. And again, in Ephesians, Paul makes it pretty clear for us. We were once children of wrath, but we are now children of God. We are no longer under God's wrath, but under his love and grace and mercy. No longer dead, but made alive by the blood of Christ. Our sinful selves are gone, dead, crucified with Jesus on the cross so that we have new life in Christ. And so by that, what have we gained? We have gained love, grace, salvation, life. We are seated with Jesus immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness and love. We've gained purpose and hope and ultimate satisfaction in him. No longer do we have to make do with our broken cisterns, make do with our pond scum water. We've gained access to the fountains of living water. Psalm 113 verses 7 and 8 puts it this way. God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. And again, we see that in Ephesians 2, where Paul says, and Jesus raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Believers have been found and have gained this amazing new identity as children of God, along with everything that comes with it, including our ultimate hope. Because again, we, we carry our identity with us after we die. And so rather being a, children of, a child of wrath, we are a child of God in eternity, existing with him in glory forever. And now that we've seen who we once were and see who we are now, let's shift our focus to our third and, and, and final point, away from ourselves, away from our own stories and how we were once lost and have been found onto those whom Jesus is still seeking, onto the lost themselves. Let's, take, let's talk about the hope for the lost. And why do I like phrase it this way? Why do I phrase it specifically as hope for the lost? Because those who are lost desperately need hope. Because for those of us who are Christians, we, we get to talk about who we once were and who we are now. But for those whom Jesus is still seeking, their story ends with the first point. They are still children of wrath. They are still hungry. They are still desperate to be satisfied. They are still looking and searching, desperate for anything to give them hope and always coming up empty. And I think one way that, that I saw this, um, just in, in my own experience, when, during my first year that I was working with the Navigators, the organization I, was, I work with, um, I got to take a team of students to uh, Detroit for a summer missions trip um, in Detroit. D Detroit has the largest population of uh, Muslim refugees in the country. And so we went specifically there to help um, refugees to settle 
and to give them the opportunity to rub shoulders with Christians and, and to share the, the gospel with them. Um, and while we were there, we had language tutors, so I was learning some Arabic, much as, most of which I forgot now because that was like three or four years ago. Um, and the, the family that was teaching us Arabic were Syrian refugees. And we got to be very close with them and had some pretty, pretty amazing um, interfaith conversations. But at, at one point, we were at their house. They had made dinner for us. Um, and they, um, they asked us to, to pray over the meal. And they made it very clear that they wanted us to pray um, in, in a Christian manner. Um, and so we, we prayed as we normally did um, in the name of Jesus to, to God. Um, and when we finished praying, a couple of them were just um, in tears. And they told us that they wished that they could know God in the way that we do. And I remember I, I drove home from that and or to, to the place that I was staying that night and, and I just broke down in tears because here is a person who is desperate to be satisfied, who is desperate to know God and who is still a child of wrath, who is still not in the family of Jesus. And it just broke my heart. And, and I don't share this to create an us and them. Right? We, as we've already seen, there is no us in them. We are all sinners. But whereas we have hope and joy and fulfillment and peace and purpose and love in Christ, your lost friends and family, those who don't know Jesus in your workplaces, and those who haven't given their lives to Jesus all over the world, they don't. They continue to live as children of last, wrath, constantly searching for something only God can satisfy, just as this Syrian refugee family was. And I know these things are, are hard to hear, and it's at this, but it's at this point that I hope your, your heart truly does begin to break for the lost. Because a heart that breaks for those who don't know Jesus is one that is in line with God's. In Matthew 9, 36, um, it says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked on the crowds that he was ministering to and his heart broke for them because he saw them as they were, harassed and helpless. And I pray that your heart breaks for those who don't know Jesus. But the joy is that the story doesn't have to end here for them. There is hope for the lost, the love and grace and salvation, purpose, hope, kindness, and eternity with the Lord that we have gained through Jesus is all here for them too. And what's more is, is God wants to bring them in. He wants to bring them into his family. He, he deeply desires to offer himself to them so that they too can be satisfied. Turn with me quickly to Isaiah 55. Um, Isaiah chapter 55. Starting in verse 1, um, Isaiah, Isaiah writes this. Again, speaking on behalf of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. 
Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you go to the pond scum? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. And then moving on to verse six, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This passage, Isaiah 55, is an invitation from God to be satisfied. It's an invitation from God to come and to drink from the fountains of living water. But, but, but here's the deal. They are completely dead in their sins, just as we once were, with no power to save themselves, with no amount of good works to reach God. So, so what do we do? As our hearts break for the loss and our desire to share this hope that we have gained with them increases, what should our response be? And the first thing I would say, our first response should be to, to pray, to pray for those who don't know Jesus. Right? We just read Matthew 9.36, where he, he looks out on the crowds and he sees that they're harassed and helpless. In the very next verse, Jesus turns to his disciple and says, pray that the Lord would send laborers into his harvest field. Pray that the Lord would send people to reach the lost into his harvest field. God alone has the power to change a heart, to breathe life into it. We do not have that power, nor do your lost friends and family. It is God's alone, and so we have to be praying for him. So one thing that um, we encourage our students to do on campus is um, to come up with what we call an, an impact prayer list, um, which is just a list of however many people, one, one, for me it's normally one to five people who don't know Jesus, and committing to pray for those people every single day that they would know Jesus. Um, one of the, the guys who also works with the Navigators at the University of Hawaii, he comes from a non-believing family, uh, and he, pray, he has prayed for his family for over a decade, I think. I think it's been 10 or 15 years. And just this past year, his sister came to know Jesus. Prayer is powerful and effective. So I would encourage you guys to, to all do that, to, to write out the list and, and pray for them every day that they would come to know Jesus. And then the second response that we should have is to go and share. And again, in, in that same Matthew passage, in Matthew 9, Jesus looks on, out on the crowd. He sees a harassed and helpless. He tells the disciples to pray. And then the very next passage is Jesus sending out his disciples into the harvest field. And we've been going through Acts, and we're going to keep going through Acts next, next week. Uh, but in Acts 4, 19 through 20, two of Jesus' disciples are carrying out this mission that, that God has sent them on. Um, it says, Peter and John answered them and said, Whether it's, it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're saying we cannot but speak of the hope that we have. Like, I can't, I can't help but tell people about who I once was and what God has done for me, my old identity and my new identity. 
And that hope, that same hope that we have is, is available to those who don't know Jesus. So share your faith. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we are the primary way that the lost are to be found. We are the body of Christ. We are how he reaches out to the lost so that they may be found. Because remember, we looked at that passage in, in Matthew chapter 28 last week with Obed, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the end of the age. We are the ones who are called to find those who are lost. So how do we do that? Here, here's just three hopefully practical, simple, easy steps. First, we have to initiate conversation. You're not gonna get anywhere if you don't initiate conversation. Um, so initiate. When people ask you what you do over the weekend, just be like, oh yeah, I go to this church. It's a very easy thing. Find easy ways to identify yourself as a believer with God and, and with your friends. So initiate conversation. And as you continue to build a relationship of trust with them, as you continue to love them well, then take the next step and, and help them to investigate. Um, two big ways that, that I go with this one, help them to investigate is just to walk up and be like, hey, do you want to read the Bible with me? Because the, God's word is super powerful and effective. Um, it will transform hearts. The, the founder of, of our organization, Dawson Trotman, he, he shares the story of how um, at the very, very early beginnings of the Navigators, he uh, would have Navy sailors come over to his house for, for dinner, um, and they would all kind of like sit around and like share a Bible verse that they had memorized. So there's this new guy who was there, they were all going around, um, and he was sitting next to Dawson's daughter, who was four years old. And he was about to skip over her to, to share a Bible verse because he'd been told he was supposed to do this. Um, and as he, as he started to, to speak, Dawson's daughter was like, hey, wait, it's, it's my turn. And she proceeded to quote John 3.16, for God so loves the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that sailor said he, he went away that night and said for the first time when he heard that verse out of the mouth of this four-year-old girl, he realized that whoever meant him and he came to know Jesus. God's word is powerful and effective, even out of the mouth of a four-year-old girl. So how much more so when we sit down with our friends and be like, hey, let's lead, read through the Gospel of John together. Let's see who Jesus really is, who he claims to be. Read the Bible with them. And then another easy way is to invite them to church, where they can hear God's word proclaimed. Help them to investigate who Jesus is. And then lastly, invite them to believe. Give them an invitation to believe in the name of the Son of God so that they too may have eternal life. And for those of you who are here and who may not be a part of the family of Jesus, who may not know God, I just want to be, be clear to you guys that this gospel is for you too. 
And so if this is something that you want to investigate, if this is a moment where you want to invite Jesus into your heart, I would encourage you to, to, talk, to, um, to talk to Josh or to Dan or to Obed when he comes back. Talk to me, talk to whoever might have brought you here. Be like, hey, how do I learn more about this? Or how do I give myself over to the Lord and experience the fountains of living water? The gospel is just incredibly good news to all who hear it. And so let's share it with others so that they too may be satisfied and so that they too may gain a new identity as children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, um, Lord, for this good news, for the gospel. Lord, that though we were in rebellion against you, though we were children of wrath, Lord, you came after us. You found us. You brought us into fellowship with you again. Lord, I pray that our hearts would break for those who don't know Jesus. Lord, that we would do everything within our power um, to, to initiate conversation, to help them investigate who Jesus is, to pray for them that, that you would be at work in their hearts and to invite them to believe. And Lord, as I pray, if, if there is anyone who is here who does not know you, Lord, I pray today or, or very soon they would enter into the family of God. Lord, I pray this in your holy name.